Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone. Ed here again from the GeoMob podcast, joined today by co-host Stephen Feldman. We're doing another catch-up episode where we just collect on our projects and, and the various things we've seen going on. So, uh, Stephen, how are you doing? Doing really well. Sun's shining, London's opening up, parks are full. Generally pretty good, Ed. How about you? Well, yeah, we're definitely kind of in the school years coming to an end and it's, it's difficult to keep paying attention and, you know, everyone's focused. I say that not just not just with my two kids, but for me, myself, you know, we've booked our summer holiday and it's difficult to keep focused, actually, after everyone's everyone's ready for a break. Although actually now, you know, work has really picked up actually in the last couple of weeks. We're kind of racing to get our, our new product out, our geo search product. And then out of nowhere, we've had several big enterprise customers contact us who kind of want very custom kind of bespoke things, which, which is the other side of our business. So we have a, we have a public geocoding service. And then occasionally we get contacted by big enterprise companies that want, you know, they have some kind of unique requirements or whatever. So, and then we run a kind of custom geocoding service for them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of mixed, actually, because on the one hand, of course, it's great that these big potential customers are contacting us. But usually it's a fair amount of work to understand exactly what their requirements are. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll want to build some kind of prototype or sample or anything or things and send them kind of a much more formal structured proposal. So it can be it can be a chunk of work actually to deal with these customers, and you know as always, it, when it rains, it pours. So just as we're racing to finish this other thing before we take some holiday, we got these big customers contacting us. So yeah, trying to balance all that. Yeah, feast so. and famine. I I think it's always a problem when you've got a product and a really big customer come potential customer comes to you and. They want you to build something that's a bit special for them. And it's not the main product, but it's a big deal for you. And you have to decide whether you're going to take that on. Sometimes you take those things on and it opens up a whole new market for you. It opens up a whole load of opportunities. But sometimes it's just a backwater that you've then got this special code that you've written for one client and nobody else is interested in it. And then you've got to maintain it and support it and everything else. So it, it is a challenge. It's the difference between being a custom business and a pure product business where you decide absolutely what you're going to make. Yeah, but, we've been, we, we have several of these customers. And on the one hand, of course, it can be quite lucrative, particularly after the setup phase when it's just kind of running and, you know, it's working well and every month the bill is getting sent and the bill is getting paid and you know so and that provides kind of a solid bedrock to build the build the business on but yeah it can be it can also be a pain i've seen it go the other way where you know first they say they want they want a and then you build a and then of course 3 months later they want b and then then they want c and you know then maybe the contact at that company left and you know now there's a new person who wants something different and so yeah requires each case is unique and you've got to kind of judge is it worth the effort or not so but if you can build a portfolio of services under the umbrella of the open cage geocoding service which do slightly different things for different people you will find in time 
that that first customer isn't the only person who wants a service. That's the hope. That's kind of the yeah. the strategy that we're taking for now. That's I mean, a, if you well, if you go back to, I've got a long history in geocoding because I was, you know part of where on earth nearly 20, well, nearly 20 years ago now. In the early days, everybody wanted to take a text address and turn it into a pair of coordinates so that they could stick it onto a map. And right. that's what geocoding was. And then some guy came along and said, I wanted to give you a pair of coordinates and you tell me where that pair of coordinates is in the textual Give me a textual output. And I remember the first couple of times that happened. We were thinking, why do you want to do that? What's the point of that? You guys have now built a business which is, I don't know, 70, 80, maybe even more percent based on taking a pair of coordinates and returning an address. And when we first looked at that, we thought it was a wacky custom requirement. Yeah, I mean, they, well, obviously, it's the proliferation of devices. Tracking devices, you know, have become so ubiquitous. And then people want to know where the device is. And, and there are a lot of different spins on that of kind of what level of granularity and things. But, but of course, we still have a lot of people who show up with the database of addresses that they want to put up on a map. So anyway, yeah, that's the hope is that we, that we slowly expand that offering, trying to find a way to do that in a, in a way that where we stay sane and don't go crazy while we manage all these customers. So... That's where we are. Yeah, I want to. I also want to say very quickly, thank you. Uh, last time, last time we did an update episode, I put out a call for alpha testers, so people who want to help us test our new geo search service that we're hard at work on. And several people contacted me, and that's been great. And uh, I've got you on the list. Uh, we're not quite there yet in terms of you know giving it out to people to start testing, but we're getting very close. So hopefully. Who knows, maybe by the time this episode is out, we'll, we'll start releasing it upon the world. Probably initially only for a certain, you know, a couple territories or in a couple languages or things. But but let's see. We're getting there. Cool. So Cool. What else do we want to talk about? So I, I did want to highlight, you know, we're recording now at the very beginning of June. First of all, we've got our, our final Geomob of the summer uh, coming up on June 16th. So anyone out there listening, if you haven't signed up for that yet, please do. We have a very nice lineup there. And then after that, we're going to be taking a break for July and August because I think, frankly, you know, I think everyone's ready to get outside and get off the screen for a little bit. <laughs> and Absolutely. And, you know, we'll see what form travel takes this summer, whether it's the far-flung destinations or maybe maybe somewhere closer to home. But I think people want to get out a bit and stuff. But nevertheless, we did have a very, very interesting event a couple weeks ago in the middle of May. And I really want to... The, the winner of the, the Splash Maps Best Speaker Prize, uh, Dan, who did a presentation about a service called Tiny Long Loop, that was just fantastic. That was possibly the best Geomob presentation I've ever seen in, in 10 ah. years. I mean... And we've had many good presentations, but this was just so clever. I, and I really want to highlight that. For anyone who yeah, didn't see it, go watch the video. I agree. Put the video link in the show notes because it's terrible to say this was the best ever Geomob presentation because that does a disservice to loads of brilliant speakers, lots of fantastic projects, you know, and all the things we've seen in over a decade of doing Geomob. But this just, it just hit it. It really hit it because it was, it was a passion for maps used in a really fascinating way 
It was incredibly geeky and technical, and yet it was really accessible. It was just brilliant. Go watch it, everybody. Dan's done an amazing, amazing thing with this tiny long loop. I haven't yet done a tiny long loop myself, but I've now you've reminded me I'm going to work one out, and I'm off to do it. Well, I know, I know some members of the GeoMob community have started, including your your colleague Arno. At, at, All right. um, he he has uploaded. One or two, but the problem is the you know the people who have been doing it for a while have gotten so sophisticated, of course, in their techniques, and uh, it's it's impressive. It's yeah. really impressive. So, so just for the um, just for the benefit of the people listening to this, before who are wondering what on earth we're talking about, a tiny long loop is a running, cycling, walking route that never crosses itself but is as long a distance as you can get in as compact an area as you can get. So go back to when we started in lockdown and people were told you could only go one kilometer from home. How far could you walk, never going more than a kilometer from home, never going over the same road twice, never crossing a junction more than once? It's a brilliant concept, and this guy's done a fantastic job with it. Yeah, and I think you have to stick to the roads or mark paths as well. You can't just, yeah. you know, wander across a field or anything. Correct. And it builds on top of the Strava API, if if I recall correctly. So um, it came about because he and his friends, you know, were into recording their runs or bike rides and kind of competing against each other. It's just so clever and so well yeah. done. So yeah. and and frankly, he he gave a great presentation about it yeah. as well yeah. so i really recommend everyone go watch that I'm trying to think what other news i have i did want to announce one other so you know at open cage as a bit of a, a laugh we've been doing on the on the final fridays of each month on twitter we post a geo trivia question mm-hmm. and and we we put that under a hashtag friday geo trivia and we post the question and then people reply with the answers and usually the question we try to have a question such that there's not one answer, but rather there are multiple answers and people try to discover the answers. And actually last, so our, la- our last question was last week and quite a few members of the GMOP community participated. So big thanks for that. And I want to encourage anyone else who wants to join us, come along. So to follow us on Twitter and we'll tweet about it around the final Friday of the month. And then there's also a blog post then that comes out where afterwards we post the question and of course the answer. So they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. And they cause a lot of argument because they're never quite as clear because geography isn't as black and white as people think it might be. They cause lots of argument, which makes them even more fun. Yes. I mean, the joy is, of course, the edge cases. So uh, literally. This Friday, you were talking about edge cases. Yes, exactly. Because it's usually about borders or whatever. So really, that's all I got. Okay, so I wanted, you mentioned Arno just before when we were talking about Tiny Long Loop, and I was just musing this morning before we got together about how much easier Mappery is now that Arno's joined me as co-editor and sort of shares the load with me. And the fact that, and it made me realize that actually having a partner in a business or any venture that you're going into, it doesn't halve the load, it decimates the load because when there's somebody else who can take the strain when you're not when you've got other pressures on you when there's somebody else to chat about about should we do this what should we do how can we do this it just makes such a difference so 
it just occurred to me if for those people who are out there and who are starting their first business, maybe, and maybe you're a one man band at the moment, you will grow and you will flourish personally and as a business so much more if you team up with somebody else and you become a two-man band. The power of a two-man band is infinitely greater than a one-man band, however good you are at what you do. So shout out to Arno for being a brilliant partner and advice to everybody. Get yourself a business partner. It's a great thing to have. Yeah, I can, I can only echo that. I mean, I, just speaking for myself, yeah. having started two businesses each time with a partner, you know, when, when whatever business you have or project it's such a roller coaster with ups and downs and and the downs it can be easy to get yourself in kind of a negative cycle you know and and usually you know you think you think oh this customer canceled or whatever this is a tragedy how are we ever going to recover and then you know your partner comes along like oh yeah okay fine we lost that customer let's move on and it, yeah. you know you just really it helps put it in perspective but yeah. likewise the ups i mean the ups are much more meaningful when you have people to celebrate them with you know because yeah. otherwise you're punching yeah. the air in a in a closed room. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I can only only reiterate your point. Totally agree. Yeah. So, another thing that I just thought we might mention was, you know, I've been working helping the team put together Phosphor G in Buenos Aires, mainly dealing with the sponsors and things like that. And in the last few weeks, we announced that the Group on Earth observations secretariat which is a sort of agency of the united nations they've partnered with phosphor g and they're running a track at the conference called open earth observation which is going to be a full track at the conference and then a couple of weeks ago microsoft ai announced that they are a diamond sponsor of the conference, and they're also running a track on climate and environmental sustainability using AI. And there's quite a lot of crossover between the Microsoft AI track and the Geo track. But it just made me sort of, I paused and thought, who would have said five years ago even that the United, an agency of the UN and the world, one of the world's largest IT businesses would be partnering, sponsoring, coordinating tracks at an open source conference. And it makes me think that if we needed any reminder, this is mainstream now. Yeah, I, I think it's obviously come a long way. And, and yeah. you know, I think it's also kind of a maybe generational cultural thing. You know, people who started with open source 10, 15 years ago have now moved up the the career ladder and are now in kind of positions where they decide on things and they've they've seen all the benefits and it's become yeah. it's become clear this is the way to go. So Yeah, but I mean I just remind you that I think it was Steve Ballmer described open source as communism or words to that effect uh, 10, 15 years ago. Today Microsoft offers a Linux distribution on Azure. They're off, you know, they're sponsoring an open source conference. And I think you mentioned that they're also um, chipped in money to the big fundraise that the GDAO project had, which is a sort of foundational set of libraries for data conversion. You know, it's a big shift going on at Microsoft, big shift going on in lots of companies. You know, IBM bought Red Hat, 
Yeah, I mean, I think times change, people evolve, yeah. the, the technology keeps getting better and better. And so whether it's open source or open data, clearly the, there's a lot of momentum there. And I, I think it's coming. I mean, but also interesting with regards to your point is just the, I feel like there's been such a surge in activity around Earth observation in general. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm just seeing it more because I'm not that actively involved in that space, but you know, so many new companies, so many different people, the podcasts about it. I, I mean, I guess it's related to, you know, the cost of the satellites has gone down so much or the cost of drones and things like that. And the ability, the systems to process all the data and at such high volumes have now evolved or whatever. But it really feels like that's such an active space. Absolutely, know? absolutely. And and actually, you just reminded me a shout out because a few months back, we had Alistair Graham right, sure. on the podcast talking about his journey in Earth observation, you know, and he was one of my colleagues helping to run Phosphor GE UK last year. And then more recently, we had Will Cadell on from Spark Geo in Canada talking about colossal opportunities for earth observation and then a little bit of geo news not hot off the press it's a couple of weeks old now but will cadell's opened a european office in london and guess who his first employee oh, is? right of course yeah, you, you hired there you go yeah so. so you know through our little network we bring people together new businesses start to evolve that's the power and the magic of geomob <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure Geomob can take full credit for the the surge in activity around Earth observation, but no, oh, fair but enough, fair enough. We can take a little bit of credit for that connection, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Although um, Alistair's also done quite well with uh, with his Scene from Above podcast. Uh, he has indeed, so, yeah. yeah. So full credit um, over there. All right, anything else to report, Stephen? Any, any other news or... You know, we don't need to ramble on longer than we need to. So No other news. I am looking forward to hearing about the OSM UK address project at the next GMOB, but maybe we'll wait till we've heard more from Rob on that before we talk about that. But I think that's an interesting project. Yes, I, I hope so. That, that That is one of the talks that will be held in a couple of weeks at the, at the June event. I guess the final point to make around GeoMob events is actually, you know, we're now thinking about when to have the next, have an in-person event, maybe in September or October. I'm looking forward to it. I guess lots of questions to be answered there in terms of when when events are allowed, but also, you know, for me, travel restrictions of being able to get into the UK is not so simple just yet. But but our tentative plan is in-person events in the autumn. We'll do one in London, one in Barcelona. Very open to having having others in other cities as well, as long as someone wants to take the lead on organizing it. And and I can't wait. So I can't wait. I can't wait. In fact, yeah, just the idea of meeting up with friends and being able to chat and drink drink a pint of beer and chat after all this time is just fantastic, you know. Can't wait. We will get there soon. So I guess on that positive note, let's uh, wrap up for this for this episode and talk to you again soon. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye. Thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. 
You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.